0: I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And here to talk with me about the Assembled Avengers
1: is John Mills. Indeed, I am still pondering to this day if Spider-Man had to be super careful about where he landed on the streets or on the walls in New York City, because you want to talk about a lot of transmissible surfaces you don't want to touch, Spider-Man is swinging onto him. But that's just this me. This is true. This is true. And and
0: I'd never thought about that, but now I'm really just worried about his health. But hopefully, you know, being a genetically, I mean, bitten by a a genetic spider, um, you know, he's got a really good immune system, I'm hoping. So that's what keeps him from getting sick all the time and just, you know, having to call in with the flu uh, because, you know, he was swinging on whatever service in Queens.
1: Forget the flu. I'm worried about him calling in with hepatitis or something <laughs> like I'm much more worried about that.
0: Well, I'm excited to be here because we're going to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming as we are here in phase three of the MCU Before we dive into the conversation, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe. You'll get the shows as soon as they drop. Plus, if you're on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, uh, please give us a star rating. And, of course, on Apple Podcasts, you can also give us a written review, help more people find the show. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at the 602 Club or on Instagram under the 602 Club TFM. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm as well as our website at trek.fm. You can go to the contact section there and send us an email if you'd like. And we'd uh, like to encourage you to go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm and support the network. So all of these shows can keep coming to you and we can grow. Can't grow without listeners like you. So again, that is patreon.com slash Trek FM. So, John, the last time we saw Spider-Man, he had uh, been in Civil War, and mm-hmm. so we knew we were going to be getting more Spider-Man, and so, uh, you know, as we were coming into this movie, then, like, were you excited about the, the prospect of getting Tom Holland in a Spider-Man movie, especially since... You know, I mean, in all honesty, we had just had a couple of Spider-Man movies previously with a different Spider-Man. And so were you hopeful coming in from Civil War that this was going to be more your speed, maybe?
1: Well, I know. I mean, everybody was super excited for, home. you know, for anything with Spider-Man. You know, at the end of Civil War, they have the stinger say, Spider-Man will return. And I remember the theater being electric about it and saying, yes, yes, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty interested, right? But I also knew that there had been plenty of movies that I wasn't thrilled with that were Spider-Man movies. So, you know, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. Burn me a third time. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm waiting before I touch the stove. And But the thing is, while I was excited, 2017 was an eventful year especially the summer of 2017, because I moved, I changed states with the whole family. And so it was very tumultuous. So I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. Did you rush out to the theater?
0: I mean, you know, at this point, yes, I'm seeing all the Marvel movies in the theater uh, and I will, you know, as we move forward, just because I was definitely on the train. And at that point too here, I'm, I'm in the 602 club. I'm doing the show. So we're, we're covering them on, Uh, The 602 Club itself. So I am going to theater to, to see these films. And coming into this, I was probably much different than a lot of people. Because I wasn't a huge fan of his appearance in Civil War. And so I was trepidatious coming into this. But I was hopeful that I would enjoy... Tom Holland here in his solo film and because I liked him. I mean, I, I did. I I liked him. I thought he was a, you know, a great kid seemed like he could really pull this off. Um, and so I was hopeful coming into the film because of that.
1: So, uh, by the way, just, I, I did take a look to see the specific release date. It was six days after uh I had switched states which means it was only a few days since the first time you and I had actually shared uh air because we and that's when we met uh we met our friend Nick out there in California. So isn't that crazy? Because yeah, we saw It was awesome. I, yeah, it was pretty awesome. But anyway, you know. Wow. Uh time flies, doesn't it? I mean but but at the same time this movie only came out 5 years ago. So you know, like what impact was there for you? You know, like, was this one of those ones where it was, I mean, I, when I finally got around to it, which was substantially later, I, you know, I had somewhat of a tepid reaction to it. Your first reaction was,
0: it was very tepid. I mean, I, I you know, I, in all honesty, I look back at my rating for this, uh, on letterbox, uh, and it was two and a half, so so that's that's like to me. If I rate something two and a half, it's a it's I would always consider it half a good movie, and and, and there were some things that really, in, in all honesty, for me, led me to feel like that. And so coming back to it, whether or not that's different is interesting. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is they make a very clear choice in this film. To not touch Peter's origin we don't mm-hmm. we don't talk about Uncle Ben, we only minorly reference him once um and we don't do any of the things that are associated with you know the lessons for Peter about great responsibility yada yada yada. we just don't touch any of that and how did you feel about that after seeing the movie because? that's the core of the Spider-Man character is that kind of tragedy and heartbreak and overcoming those things. And that's not something this movie deals with at all.
1: I was happy about it. Honestly, look, this is the same difficulty that Batman movies face where when they reboot a series, how they handle that origin story, there's a lot of weight. And I think it's wise to sidestep it because number one, Uncle Ben, like they'd already rebooted the series once before this. So this is the third time we're encountering Spider-Man since the early 2000s. There is a meta level of awareness that the target audience is going to come in with. And whether you think it's good storytelling or not, I think it's just common sense that you have to say, we can't annoy these people. They get it. If we, sh- No matter how magnificently they do the scene, there is absolutely no emotional payoff that can come with it at this point. Because audiences are going to sit there and say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know this part. Just, and you're just going to tune out. It doesn't matter. That's just how it's going to work. And that's why each, you know, each movie that reboots a series tries to do, okay, we're going to do a different spin on it. I think it's a brilliant decision just not to bother. Because Peter is Peter. And he's going to be Peter Parker no matter what. So exploring the relationship with Aunt May, who's a decidedly different characterization of Aunt May than the one I grew up with. I mean... Aunt May was like elderly back when I was growing up and Marissa Tomei, is it just that we've gotten older? And so Aunt may seemed elderly, but I mean you go to any comic book or anything like that. There's, there's a definite difference.
0: No, I think that this Aunt May for regardless of how old or young you were, she was still much younger. I mean, you know, so I, it definitely was very different. Um and the way that they kind of treat the character. And I think, I, I like what you said about not touching the story, and I think that's one of the things that I feel much differently now. Part of that is, in hindsight, because of the other Spider-Man movies that we've had, especially No Way Home, where this character and the way he's being presented in the MCU that lesson wasn't was coming. It was just coming later. Right. And in Mm -hmm. in some ways I made the mistake that a lot of people did. And I'll admit this. I made the mistake with this film of judging it um, the same way a lot of people did with man of steel. They just Mm. wanted the character to be what they, you know, expected and not allow him to grow. And I I made that mistake. I freely admit that here. Um, And so in hindsight, that's one of the things that plays much better in this film is that that's, I know that that's coming. And so I can actually kind of see where they're kind of bringing this character and where they're working on his characterization in a way that is different and yet is still kind of leading him to a place where he'll have that major moment of realization this movie specifically though and and i wanted to ask you about this is basically an mcu john hughes film like Uh, it's all about the high school drama and the and, and and peter really dealing with the reality that one this kid is a sophomore in high school and what it would be like to have these powers as a sophomore in high school and barely be figuring out who you are as a person in the first place, let alone a superhero.
1: It's definitely, it's a very interesting, it's a very fresh take. It's the closest, you know, up to this point where we've watched things, this is the closest that they have attempted at this point to get a a character as close as possible to the way they appear in the original comics. And because Peter was always an awkward teen who was super smart never really in an accepted circle of, you know, popular friends or anything like that. And a a lot of the stuff is smartly updated to speak to more modern times. I, I know that there were some people where it was a challenge for them because the high school life that Peter lives is not familiar to them. And it's one of those things where, you know, it was a worthwhile discussion to say, well, you know, times are different now right? That's why flash isn't the big hulking football player that you remember. It's smart to change him because it's, it's a different time. And that type of character is cringy now and, and, and very stock. But, um, I, I thought it would, I, I like the way you put it, that it's a, like an MCU John Hughes film. I can see that. Definitely. Unfortunately, I think that there's something lost in the translation, where the Hughes movies were done in a in such a way that Hughes was still, I, I he, the the Hughes movies are they're still like a step removed between you and the characters whereas this movie i think makes a lot of effort to try to get you to feel like you're their age it it seems weird but do, do you understand what i'm saying there where it's like the movie is regarding its audience as younger than me and i think that is a little bit tricky for it to try to navigate
0: i think i understand what you're saying and i i I do feel as though this movie is trying to place you in the shoes of Peter and in a way that necessarily the Hughes movies aren't, mainly because the Hughes movies, those kids don't come off as actual kids. They come Mm -hmm. off as vaguely adult in kids' bodies and that, you know, the things they're saying and the things they're doing are all more adult than they are necessarily like an actual teenager at the time. And here, I mean, you know, when you have Peter and Ned sitting there talking about, have we seen that outfit on Liz before? Uh, that skirt, but not with that top, you know, like that's the kind of thing that two teenage boys who kind of pay attention to a girl might be having that conversation. That's not an Mm -hmm. adult conversation. That's a teenage boy conversation. Right. And a, yeah, Or true. just even the way that the, the boys react to one another when, you know, Ned is in his room and Peter's crawling on the ceiling comes down and Ned just freaks out, drops the thing, you know, and they kind of like, there's not anything like quippy being said that he's like, what is you know, he's like trying to get words out, you know, because he doesn't have the perfect phrase on his tongue. You know, this movie does, I think, a lot of those things. Um, with the kids that feels more real. Even Flash, like being a complete jerk, but the things that he calls Peter, like, you know, it's total teenage boy. He thinks he's so smart because he's calling Peter Penis Parker.
1: Yeah. Well, you
0: know, like that's a teenage boy thinking he's hilarious because he said the word penis instead of Peter. Yes. You know, so I, I think... There's there is the kind of like framework of this idea of a Hughes movie, but it brings it down to earth and makes the kids more relatable in many ways, because I think we are meant to feel the awkwardness of Peter. You know, we're meant to feel the awkwardness of what it would be like to be a teenage boy who had just found puberty a couple of years ago and now has hit a whole new type of puberty with like the ultimate puberty, (laughs) becoming a superhero. And so it's like, there's, again, it's meant to be uber awkward. And even like the way they play MJ in this movie, like she's super awkward. Like nobody Mm -hmm. in this movie is really cool.
1: Yeah. and, And I know, I know there were people that had problems with the fact that they basically, lack of a better term, updated MJ. She's supposed to be a turbo hot, redheaded future supermodel sort of, you know, vibe going on there, mm-hmm. and they they make a very conscious choice to move away from that. Yeah. But given and all, she'll of those never things, actually
0: be the MJ we know. I mean, no, she won't. So, yeah,
1: I, personally, I'm grateful for stuff like that because mm-hmm. it it makes sense that that's a sort of update where it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, you're you're making the character more interesting. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But, may, I don't know, maybe the thing is, maybe, maybe what I'm, I really, the big, the big hurdle I have is it really seems to be the Iron Man show featuring Peter Parker. And that is sort of the thing that I maybe. wrestle with throughout this yeah. movie.
0: Okay, so I'm glad that you brought up Iron Man. My major issue with the movie beforehand and still my major issue with the movie, is that we continue to de-evolve the character of Tony Stark for plot reasons instead of where the character is supposed to be. So Age of Ultron has happened, Civil War has happened, and this does kind of continue the fact that You know, he he mentions, like, people were like, you brought a teenager, you know, and, like, they touch on that. But it's like, he's learned nothing. Tony is incapable of changing at this point because they want to continue to pigeonhole him as this, like, playboy who can never grow up. And it's very frustrating because it's almost as if, and you like to say this, and I give you full credit for it, that, you know, the, the last Jedi is is as if the return of the Jedi never happened. This is like Iron Man 3 never happened. Yeah. And it's very frustrating because this character, and I'm going to go on a soapbox, so just bear with me.
1: Ooh, I love it when you go on a soapbox. Tony
0: is a character who wants to take no responsibility for even his own actions And so when he comes to Peter at the end, it was like, oh, it was like a, uh, you know, trial by fire. It's basically like the Jedi with Ahsoka at the end of her arc in season five. Like, oh, well, this is what the force meant for you. And it's like, that is the biggest bunch of BS I've ever heard. You didn't, you know, that you didn't think that you're just trying to cover up for the fact that you're not wanting to take responsibility for your own actions. And, Nobody wants to take this kid and be the father that he needs to teach him how to, one, be a man, and two, how to be a superhero. The best father figure he has in this movie is Karen, (laughs) which is pathetic that Karen, the AI, is the only one here to kind of listen to him, to treat him like an actual human being and someone who's worthy of being trained. Like even happy is like talking down. So I get so upset with this movie for that one specific reason that we won't allow Tony to come in and actually have the mentorship role. And that way when he is yelling at him and mad at him for what happens on the ferry, it would have so much more weight if they had been spending a lot of time together and Peter still makes the mistake. Whereas right. here it's like right. Peter's absolutely right. No, Tony, this is your fault. You weren't there, you wouldn't believe me, you weren't listening, and you weren't talking to me. So how's Peter supposed to know?
1: But but see that that even gets to your point about it becomes more concerned with advancing Iron Man than it does with advancing Peter. I- well, in that but it's sense. not
0: advancing Iron Man because he's literally just the same character he was <laughs>
1: Yeah, but but having the argument, you could, ma- you could make an argument that at the end of the movie, Iron Man is, you know, once again, they regress him and then they take him back to where he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So he just keeps taking, you know, one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. Although, I mean, you know, if, if somebody wanted to mount a defense where they said, well, isn't that what human nature is like? It's like, uh, okay. I mean, it's a fair argument that people don't always progress in a linear fashion. They sure They go forward, sure. then they fall back sort of thing. I get that. But in a but I, series but, like but this, think, right,
0: you do want your characters yeah. to feel and 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 just to to play devil's advocate on that. Obviously, as we've progressed with the character of Captain America, yeah. he continues to grow and to change and 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 in the sense that like he's become disillusioned with things he used to think he could believe in. But he he stayed core to the truth of who Captain America is and what he believes in, in the sense of, like, the things that are right and wrong and all that kind of stuff. But there's been progression with that character in a good fashion, whereas, like, it's like with Iron Man, like you said, like, yeah, you can go back and forth. But when you're doing these type of movies, the character really needs to move forward almost not in a realistic fashion we we right. need the character to just continue to grow and to evolve and he's kind of evolving and then he's de evolved and like he won't really evolve again I feel like until we finally get to you know the last two films that he's in where with Infinity War and um Endgame and and it's just spoilers it never feels <laughs> I'm yeah it never feels like a great cohesive story for the Iron Man character in the end. And this is one of the biggest places where that's the case.
1: I I also think uh, I'll also throw out there that um, it bothered me in a lot of ways, not just because I'm in, you know, I, I'm a fan who read Spider-Man comics in the 80s and and 90s, and I'm a Spider-Man fan who watched Spider-Man and his amazing friends with Firestar and Iceman, and stuff like that, but giving him you mentioned Karen the AI giving Spider-Man basically a a version of what could be called the Iron Spider suit this early in the game th- th- this, is, this is where the conflicting impulses are a problem is that since we Rob Peter of that origin story, showing him lose Uncle Ben and move forward. When he gets that super suit from Iron Man, it doesn't feel earned the way that it should. Of, okay, you've been doing this without this. That's why you screwed up this time. Here's your suit. It gets better, right? Do you think this movie, I mean, but but at the same time, let's talk about it this way. Do you think they're painted into a corner? Because given that Iron Man exists here, you'd be asking the whole time, why isn't he giving him a super suit, right?
0: Where is my super suit? Um,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: No, I, I do think that you're absolutely right. They have painted themselves into a corner, and we've already seen a super suit that he's been given. Um, and so the fact that Peter just continues to have the suit. You know, from where we saw him the first time in Civil War makes sense. And this is an area to which I was much more frustrated, I think, previously than I am now in retrospect because of where we go in No Way Home. Is that we are moving the character towards kind of a slower origin. You know, a a slower coming into being the Spider-Man that we know. And part of the learning process is this. um, And again, I mean, it's like if he didn't have this suit, who would be there like helping this kid at all, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and, and and the thing that's really interesting about it is, is that, you know, normally in the Spider-Man movies, Peter learns on his own, right? Like, yep. But here he doesn't need to be learning on his own because he's supposed to have other people around him, but he's, told one he's not good enough and two that um he just needs to work his way up from you know the JV squad basically to and I think the what's fascinating to me is is that the 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 character who really does learn the lesson here is Peter in the end he basically tells Tony I don't want to be you right Mm -hmm. now I'm not ready to be you He's learned a lesson that even Tony hasn't learned yet, which is fin- – f- well, at least Tony did learn it, and then he forgot it. But I, I, that's one thing that I was really impressed with this movie is that at the end of this movie, Peter makes an extremely mature decision in saying no to Tony and saying no to being a part of the Avengers and continuing to be the neighborhood Spider-Man because he realizes – he does have a lot to learn. He's allowed his pride to be humbled enough to say, I'm not ready for that yet, but I will be. I'm working on it, but not yet. And, you know, when you juxtapose that against the characterization of Tony, it's just, it's phenomenal how different that is.
1: Yes. I, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, his decision at the end. I I, I want to be the the neighborhood spider-man you know the 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 spider-man we're all familiar with but at the same time do you think it speaks to the fact that spider-man doesn't belong in the mcu in a sense because his personal struggle and his powers very much are more suited to a single comic continuity where it's Spider-Man versus his enemies and not one wherein the other people exist which is maybe it's limited thinking or something but do you think it's just a something that not for a little while at least this character exists in such a way that can be resolved to The fact that it's a small it's a limited world character dropped into an unlimited film universe.
0: That's an interesting question and I think the film in many ways does kind of deal with that um, because we see how useless Peter's powers are in the suburbs Uh, and Mm -hmm. how useless his powers are out. I mean, you know, Peter's powers literally only are the most effective in a city like new york especially in midtown manhattan you know they're not even as great in queens you know because there's no tall buildings to swing off of you know it just mm-hmm. it, it's so when they literally do the thing where he's running across the the golf course and there's nothing for it to swing on or he's trying to make his way through the neighborhood and there's not a lot for him to really swing on and effectively move. Mm-hmm. It's like this character's powers are kind of pointless, you know. And so mm-hmm. I think you do have a real uh, a good point in that because this is a character who works in specific locations, um, which will be really interesting when we talk about Far From Home and he's in London. So – um, but
1: which which I'll be seeing for the first time on yeah, assembling avengers.
0: That's crazy. Uh so Isn't it? but I I think the thing that it would have been great for me in this film that if it had done was allowed this to be a movie about Tony and Peter growing. And I think this could have been a movie where and maybe they were afraid of having too much Tony in the movie. But he already overshadows it. So it to me it's better. It's like. The Force Awakens. Putting Luke Skywalker off. Because we don't want him to overshadow the movie. And yet he overshadows the entire movie. Regardless. And so it's like just use the character. Instead of pretending like he's not around. Or finding ways to mm-hmm. like push him to the side. Because it would be better for both characters actually. To get them to where they need to be. By the end of the film. And. You know, I do think that the strongest moment again here for the character of Spider-Man is that beautiful moment where he's being crushed by a building and he's not sure if he can do it and he Mm -hmm. wills himself to push the building up and to do the thing that nobody believes that he can do, which is to help save the day because nobody will pay attention to him, but he knows what he needs to do because... If this stuff gets into the wrong hands, it's going to be not only bad for his part of the country, but it's going to be bad for everyone involved. And Mm -hmm. so um, this is where I think they are kind of building in that idea of like Peter seeing that with great power comes great responsibility. We never say that in the movie, but we portray it with Peter being willing to do the right thing for the right reasons, even if nobody else is going to pay attention to him.
1: Let me ask you a question uh, just so long as we're we're on the topic um about you know about Peter's growth and everything do you think that Iron Man's presence cuz we're we're talking about that part of it too do you think that it winds up overshadowing the very terrific job that Michael Keaton does playing vulture do you think that they take time away from the villain that could have given the villain a lot of time to shine in order to have tony there instead
0: i don't think so because especially Hmm. in the rewatch that i had here i was really impressed with the job that keaton does and i was also impressed with the way the movie paints him to be more sympathetic by making him a guy who's just trying to do his job you know, he's just trying to get along in life and the big corporate powers that be are political powers kind of come in and squash that and almost take away his whole livelihood. And he feels, quote unquote, and it's not really true, but, he, you know, because nobody's forced to be in crime, but he feels forced to choose a decision he wouldn't normally choose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the very end, right, in the stinger, He has the choice of whether or not he will betray who Peter is or be more virtuous. And he chooses to not betray Peter because that's not what this has been about. Mm -hmm. And so I think the performance that Keaton gives is so good because really he's just a guy that feels forced into a corner and is just trying to provide for his family uh, and protect his family at the same time, and he ends up, you know, making some wrong decisions. But ultimately, he's not all bad, you know. Like there is oh, still yeah. good in him.
1: Oh no, I I definitely think Keaton Keaton's great, and he breathes life into a character that the average person does not even know exists in the Spider-Man lore. People know Doc Ock. People know Green Goblin. People arguably know Hobgoblin because Hobgoblin is really just, you know, <laughs> oh, no, we killed Green Goblin. We need something else. Hobgoblin. Okay. But there is a, um, I, 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 just, I just think that there's there's a sense that Keaton does a terrific job. He elevates that character into somebody I want to watch they do take him on an interesting journey but i just it's it's like um it's like the movie is overloaded with characters because you have iron man in it right like this is the story of peter finding his way you've got his relationship with with mj you've got his relationship with his friend you've got his arch nemesis and it's just one of those things again where i don't know i i mean i agree with you about about keaton but i just i just struggle with this that he would have had yeah. even more to do there would have been more focus on him
0: i was in the rewatch uh i remembered there being more iron man there's actually less than i remembered he he but again i think it's just that he overshadows the movie because you're constantly reminded of him because of peter's suit you know and because of karen you know being an extension of like this tony creation you know so you you're never he's never far from your mind but um yeah i mean and keaton really takes this this role and makes it something that's pretty phenomenal um that in lesser hands wouldn't be great. You needed somebody with this, like he just comes in and he chews up the scenery, you know? Uh, and I think it's fantastic. So, um, I gotta, what did you think about Ned? Um, and this, the, the, the relationship he has with Peter and just the, 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 you know, the character himself, the actor, everything there. How did that end up working for you? Um, with him being the guy, in the chair
1: i just fantastic, actually, I thought it was great I, I I really do i i think I think one of the strongest suits of the movie is that they cast so incredibly well, and Ned becomes a best friend character. I look forward to seeing him because he's so great with it and he's so fun while at the same time not he's comic relief without being overbearing and that cannot be uh you know overvalued in a movie like you need we've talked about the 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 comedy problem in the MCU this character and the way that uh it's Jacob Batalon I think you that's how you pronounce the last name Jacob Batalon the way he plays the character is so right on what you need for for the role, but also his chemistry with Tom Holland is genuine. I believe that these guys are best friends.
0: Yeah, I like that you said that because I think one of the things that they do with the character, and it's so smart, is that he's never jealous of Peter having these powers. He lives vicariously and is enjoying... His best friend having these powers and i think that's something that's fun and it's like he knows instead of being you know again the jealous friend he kind of knows his place where he's like oh man i I could help you out you know i could be the guy in the chair you know because he's so he knows what he's good at and how he could best help his friend and it's not about that kind of pettiness um that you get in so many superhero type films like Honestly, I think of the previous Spider-Man movies and, of course, when Harry Osborn learns who Peter is, you know, right, he gets jealous and, uh, you know, there's it, none of that and, and you know, like you said, Jacob is just so great as Ned. He's so likable uh, and he's so fun as a person and, and like you said, the, the chemistry that they have, or, you know, they've got their special handshake, you know, and... They feel like teenage boys, you know, they like to play with Legos and they look longingly at girls that they'll never get to have because they're not cool enough for a senior, you know, I mean, just like, it's, it's cute. It's real cute. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I hang out with a lot of teenagers working with a youth group at church and it's like, these are the kind of kids you want to be with even as an adult because they're, they're just like. They're awkwardly comfortable in their own skin, which sounds weird, but, you know, like, these kids kind of know who they are in some ways, and they're not afraid to just, like, be themselves. I, I don't know. I, it's it's just really good. And I, I think what I'm trying to say is I really appreciate the writing of them uh, because it comes across as genuine uh, instead of, like, we're going to pretend like they're more more adult than they actually are at this time period. So... Yeah,
1: I feel like you've taken too many uh, unnecessary shots at the works of John Hughes in this in this episode. <laughs> I'm going to have to throw a challenge <laughs> flag on that one. But, uh, but you know what? Hey, let me let me let me throw a curveball at this point because you know I love to do that. You know we we keep saying you know MCU John Hughes movie and and and, and stuff like that and and writing the teen characters as real teens a big important part of everybody's life, especially when they're a teenager is music. So. The music in this movie, do you think it's successful? Do you think that the score is memorable? Do you have a theme here that, I mean, let's be honest. Nothing will ever top the old uh, cartoon theme for Spider, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever. I mean, you're talking stuff written from the TV jingles era, and that you're just never going to find anything that's an earworm of yeah. the same sort. Yeah, but do you think this? Do you think this music works? Do you think that it's a? Do you think it's one of the better MCU soundtracks, or is yeah. it just your average MCU soundtrack where it just fits the bill? So, it does enough.
0: I love that you asked this because one, the needle drops in this movie are fantastic. Absolutely yeah, great are. needle drops. I mean, I, you know, when you've got like spoon in there and stuff like that, just phenomenal. Um, so I they they choose great music in that. You know, we. We thought that Michael Giacchino's music uh, was good for Doctor Strange. But here, he does something really smart. He basically takes that Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and yeah. turns that into a theme here. And it's just great. Like, it's actually really good. I can remember it. I can hum it. It and And his music in this movie is vibrant and joyful and fun and it's a great soundtrack and it might be one of the best of the MCU, honestly. Like, I, I didn't remember that to be the case. But he really made something by kind of combining the old and making it kind of new. And, yeah. Like, he captures the spirit of what's happening on screen, wonderfully, and and by and and the music itself is just kind of more fun and bouncy and and like I really really enjoy it. I'm I didn't remember that at all about this, but I'm impressed. So,
1: I I I agree that the score is very good. I, I, Giacchino. Giacchino, Giacino, however, <laughs> yeah,
0: however you say it,
1: however, I'll call him Mikey. I, his scores, you know, I don't think I've ever heard him make a bad one. And I agree with you. There's a lot of energy in this one and that it's he's he has a, a real gift. And I think it's because of uh, a lot of the TV work that he did as well, you know, with Lost and everything. He knows how to get the sting in there, he knows how to get the audience's attention and sort of manipulate you emotionally uh, a lot of the time. But I don't know that I think it's one of the best. I, I have to think about that. It's good. I don't consider it great, but at the same time, you know, when I look back on the the different themes of everything it's at least above average it, it, it at least it at least achieves more than what your typical mcu score does um so yeah you know i i give the music good marks i do uh it, it works works well
0: so you're like chris pine in you know uh wonder woman where he's like above average
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Let, let, you know what let's save that for a DCEU um okay podcast. That that, that so what did you we'll think, talk about that. Yeah.
0: What did you think about the effects in this movie?
1: oh They were good. I I I have no complaint about them. Um they're good. I I think that Sony knew that they were they have to impress the audience at this point because I mean, weren't wasn't there a contingent? My perception was that people were skeptical whether Sony could pull off something that Marvel had done. Because, you know, at this point, the Marvel juggerna- juggernaut is rolling, and this is not Marvel, you know, th- this is not the Marvel owned by Disney doing this. This is the partnership with Sony. So I think there was some skepticism about whether Sony could pull it off. And I think that you're... Looking at in the ending, there, there are some parts that didn't age particularly well. There's a little bit of unevenness, but I think that overall the effects work, and I think they're good. Um, and, there wasn't, and there was nothing in here that was such a bad compositing job that I looked at it and said, oh, got the interns to work on this one. You know, like, or or for, farmed it out. Uh, you know, two weeks before you locked picture or something like that. Um, so yeah, just good effects.
0: Yeah, there's only a couple of moments where I'm like, eh, I'm not sure that really works. And and I think the biggest moment is when Tony is talking to Peter after what happened on the ferry. Which the ferry scene looks really good, but there's that scene where you can just basically tell the whole backdrop is a blue screen and it doesn't feel as composited as well as you would want it so that it feels more real. But other than that, I think this movie does look pretty good and is a lot of fun uh, effects wise. And part of that is that they aren't just doing the same type of swinging shots that you've seen in every other Spider-Man movie. They are trying to do lots of different things and part of that too is that we don't spend almost any time in Midtown Manhattan. We're all in like Queens and Brooklyn, and you know, little the 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 smaller places of New York, so that we actually do feel like we're in a different type of Spider-Man movie that we are with the neighborhood Spider-Man.
1: I I do have to give the movie credit for the fact that uh, (laughs) whenever something's said in New York, it's always like on the Island of Manhattan. And even when you're talking about New York city, you, you you point out Brooklyn and Queens and stuff like that. Like there are five boroughs. There's a whole lot of other Mm -hmm. New York to explore than the skyscrapers that, you know, from the, the main Island get on over there. And so I, I, I'm just piggybacking on what you were talking about, where it's it's good that they treat the New York location as something more than Times Square and a couple of the familiar monuments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is is a lot of fun. So um, was there was there anything else about the movie um, that you feel like uh, was there I guess kind of was there anything that you feel like has changed over time or you feel like is in a better light and a worse light?
1: I will say actually that No Way Home makes Homecoming better, which makes me love No Way Home even more because the whole purpose of a sequel, a good sequel, is to elevate the original material. Mm-hmm. Godfather 2 does it, Empire Strikes Back does it, Terminator 2 does it. Like there are all of these sequels that they elevate the previous work. And so the previous work seems even better by comparison. But while there is that that lift, uh, it's I'm still processing whether it's just because I love No Way Home so much and it made so much payout of this, or just that I I you know I view it a little differently now. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's a mix of both. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think No Way Home really, really helps this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Peter's journey, you know what's coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm absolutely with you on that front. And I, I think, you know, as I meant it earlier, I think there were a couple of things that when I came into this movie that I was I was judging in a way that I wasn't allowing them to be able to take the character and you know, honestly, do what they wanted with him. Um, and, you know, in the same way that I had done with Man of Steel and Superman. And uh, so I I was wrong in that. And and so therefore, you know, I see this movie in a different light, not just because of No Way Home, but I think being a little bit reflective on my own feelings at the time and and, and not necessarily giving this film and what the MCU... And Sony were trying to do with the character in light of the fact that, you know, they're rebooting him uh, very quickly after a few years. So, yeah, this is a different experience for me. And so I guess um, with that, John, it comes down to the question of what are you going to rate Spider-Man Homecoming?
1: I'm going to give it a three. It was two and a half before. I think our conversation helps suss out some of that that feeling, but a three, which isn't, it's not a bad rating, but eh, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it was two and a half. Now it's three. Thanks to, uh, no way home. What about yeah.
0: you? Yeah. Um, this is going to be a three and a half. Uh, it went wow. up from a two and a half. So we got a whole extra star from me wow. and, um, and mainly cause I just, you know, I enjoyed the movie more this time. And part of that was what I talked about, just kind of letting go of some things. And, and part of that is in retrospect of where we've come from, with the fact that where I know we're going to go. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful that we got no way home to be a movie that is elevating its previous material. Um, Mm -hmm. That, again, like you said, that just shows how good that movie was. And so, ranking-wise, where is everything going to land for you now?
1: Winter Soldier stays at top. Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, uh, Captain America First Avenger, The Incredible Hulk, and then right behind, like, very close... In terms of what would I be more willing, you know, these rankings are what am I more willing to rewatch Spider-Man Homecoming and then Avengers and then Thor and then Thor the Dark World and then Avengers Age of Ultron, which is eyeing greedily the attention that I give the last spot (laughs) racing toward it, if you will, with each passing, you know, moment uh, as it as it casts its jealous eyes toward in last place Iron Man 2. What
0: nice. about you? Uh so uh we've got Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man Three, Spa no, just kidding. Uh Civil <laughs> War, <laughs> the First Avenger, uh, and then we have Guardians of the Galaxy Two, Ant Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, and there has been a major shift in Uh-oh. my rankings. Spider-Man Homecoming. Wow. Then Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Then Avengers. Oof. Then Thor the Dark World. Mm. Iron Man 2. Mm. Thor. And of course, in the last spot where it should be on your list, Age of Ultron.
1: We're working there. We're getting there. (laughs) Slowly coming to accept it.
0: But but what's crazy is, is that... Spider-Man Homecoming kind of used to be down there, like closer mm-hmm. to the bottom of the list, and it moved towards the top of the list in the sense that, you know, it's it's at the top half now. And yeah. so that's what this these rewatches can do, and that's what a fantastic resolution to the quote-unquote Spider-Man trilogy that they've done can do as well. So, I mean... You make good movies, it can have an impact on the whole. So,
1: Indeed, indeed.
0: Well, John, uh, if people do want to catch up with you and talk, you know, maybe some Spider-Man or MCU, or maybe they want to see what else you've got going on, where can they find you?
1: You can hear me kick myself about selling uh, Spider-Man issue number 300, uh, illustrated by Todd McFarlane. Is it worth anything? No idea, but maybe I shouldn't have sold it anyway. Uh, you can find me as Castle Junkie online. You can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, Letterboxd, Insta, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, and you can find me out there uh, on other shows if you, you care to hear my ramblings uh, on the Nerd Party Network. You can hear me on the House Lights podcast where we look at the work of directors divided by decade or the entire body of work, what have you. And also on a what I feel to be a terrific Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations, which I co-host with one Mr. Matthew rushing
0: which I think everybody should check out aggressive negotiations it's fantastic uh, yes. you can also find me here on the TFM network doing the entire six sub two club which you know we've got this whole side of the network that doesn't have anything to do with Star Trek uh, and so we would appreciate you checking that out it's in the same feed here as assembling Avengers so uh, of course Snyder cuts is there as well you can also find me doing literary treks the orb and warp five literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek warp five is about star trek enterprise and the orb is about star trek deep space nine and then you could find me over on the nerd party network not just with aggressive negotiations but i do have a finished show that i did with drea kaufman it's called owl post and we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time but thank you of course so much for joining us avengers